0: All right, yeah. here we go. One, two, three. From my point of view, the- that was perfectly in time.
1: Hey, Rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rocky Podcast. I'm your co host, Seth Hinckley. And through the magic of internet technology, Woo-hoo! I'm air quotes sitting here with the Parisian Peter Buck to my Houstonian <laughs> Bill Berry, The daddiest of the doodads, Mr. Matt Black. How you doing, Seth? Nice to see you in electronic form. You're a little pixelated. Uh, that- I know it's good to see you. Yeah, it's great to do this bicontinental, bicontinentally. How do you say that?
0: Let's just go with bicontinentally. But we're definitely taking this podcast to another level. Yeah, we sure are. In season season three, season three of extra credit. Can you believe this? This it's episode thirty four. Your brainchild, look, come to life. We made it into the adult years of a podcast. So yeah, midlife. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe this. <laughs> well, we
1: already caught up on our summers, but just for our listeners, Seth, how's Houston? Houston's hot. The I food's bet. good. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little more spicy than Paris. Nice. Everything's going well. Everything's going well.
0: Nice. Well, we miss you here, but uh, glad you can still join us by the magic of technology and lay some knowledge on our many, many listeners. All right, since we've done this since the beginning, <laughs> I have to ask you, what are you wearing, Matt? I'm not sure how it shows up on the screen, the red logo on the red shirt, but I am wearing my one and only Foo Fighters t-shirt. Oh, nice. Okay, can, can you see and that?
1: I, see the logo? I see it. Little I shine, see yeah. it. The back
0: has yeah. a back has a white lo- you know, a big white thing but you can't see that that because I can't turn around for you.
1: Maybe I could. Here. Oh, there it is. I like it with the lightning bolt. Very nice. What are you wearing? I'm sporting the doodaddiest of Mm, t-shirts. I'm sporting my doodad shirt. Very few of those in existence. I know. I'm lucky enough to have one. I'm sporting it because I'm missing my rock and roll home of Paris. Oh yeah. I don't even think I have one of those. I mean, I have an older one. But the one you have, I don't think I have it. And You're even in the band.
0: (laughs) Well, I could order some more, but I don't I think I have one of
1: those. You ought to get one. So what are, what are we talking about today, Seth, for to open up season three? Well, you and I had an internet conversation over many, many texts and we had lots of ideas, but I think what we're doing today is songs about jobs or professions.
0: That's what I have down too. I'm relieved because if I had prepared a different one, we'd be in, a, in some trouble. Yeah, yeah we mean, would. You know, the kids had their rentree. You know, if you're in the good Parisian style, everyone's away for the summer. Everyone takes a little time off. Kids went back to school and the rest of us got to go back to work. So it's time.
1: All right. Criteria for your top five songs about jobs or professions
0: well you know me Seth I have tons and tons of criteria and I have them all spelled out didn't bother any for this
1: one it was pretty straightforward for me <laughs> <laughs> Just just songs about jobs and professions. What about you? You know, I had it as a song that had to be about the experience of a job or profession, not just one that mentioned it. Okay. And I excluded musicians and DJs because we already did a whole (sighs) list of songs about bands and musicians. I forgot to mention it.
0: Yes, so did I, for the same reason. Didn't make any sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I got to say, when we came up with this idea, I was like, oh, there can't be that many of them. Oh. My kids, I, yeah. And then <laughs> I found out exactly how wrong I was. I there's mean, there's lot. too many to choose from. I mean, my top five could change from literally from minute to minute on this yeah, one. Yeah, mine did. I mean, you could do a whole list on either on, on ladies or even gentlemen of the night, like I Bad have, Girls by Donna Summer, Hot Child little, in the City, Nick I, G- Kilder, <laughs> Lady Marmalade by Lady Bell, just a gigolo, David Lee Roth, Fancy by Reba McIntyre, Call Me slow by down,
0: Blondie. How, hold on. <laughs> Am
1: I, I also just have rolling that
0: through this? Honorable mention section set aside for the exact, the oldest profession. There you go.
1: Yeah, and yeah. then there's another one that I never really thought of, but uh that really came to mind was soldiers, like born in the I, USA. I, U, I by got that one too. <laughs> fortunate fortunate Son For Whom yeah. the Bell Tolls, Good Night Saigon Ballad of the Green Berets This is the, this is the backwards I mean, episode, honorable mentions first. <laughs> yeah, exactly I mean, I could do a whole list on soldiers just with Iron Maiden, The yep. Trooper, Ace Is High, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Run to the Hills and Tail Gunner. And then there's there's actually lawyer songs Lawyers Guns and Money by Warren Zevon Lawyers, Lawyers and love, love by, by Rick Springfield. <laughs> Yeah, and then Here Comes the Judge by Shorty Long I mean there's oh so many of these <laughs> yeah uh, well let's get to the good stuff well who's going first I don't know who's going first you tell me I'll go first and I'll give you the last word since I just okay. rattled off about 900 songs yeah you did in fact <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, can't, I came down to five. It wasn't easy, but I got down to five. And I, I don't know that they have so much in common, but we'll see. My first one, I'm going to start. You know, I tried. I really, really tried to do one of these lists without a Beatles song. I can't do it. It was a choice. Oh, wait. Yeah? Wait, wait. Uh, you got over a list 100. of Beatles? Over, under, right, go, right, 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 right. I'm going to set the over, under at
1: 1.5. Okay. I'm probably going to take the under on that one because I think we might have one.
0: I think we might have one, but I think we might have two. So my, my head says take the under, but my heart says take the over. I'm taking the over. Wow. Yeah.
1: You're you're violating your rule.
0: I am because okay. I realized that there's nothing actually at stake. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go right. first and give you the last. The oh, last you're going to go. You're going to go first. Okay. Yeah. So my number five is driver eight. By REM. It's on my honorable mentions. Good one. It's a song about a train driver who is a person who operates a train or a rail car. They're the engineer, I guess. Great song that I've loved ever since I started listening to REM. I think I was kind of late to the party with REM because I didn't start listening to them until like the late 80s. And I guess I was that's banging not, my head too much.
0: That's not late to the party. I started listening maybe 87, right around the time I got to college, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's where I really got into him was in college. Yeah. And this song, it refers to the Southern Crescent which was a passenger railroad train that was operated by the Southern Railroad until 1979. It still continues on today as the Amtrak Crescent. Wow. And the video for the song actually shows Chessie System trains running around Clifton Forge, Virginia. I guess they couldn't get down to Georgia or wherever the Southern Crescent was running. And the train conductor says, take a break, Driver 8, because we've been on this trip too long. Although that doesn't apply to our, our podcast. but No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, in June
1: it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we take that summer school break. That's right.
0: Yeah, I like that one. It's. Uh, I always had a sense of foreboding for me that something was going to go wrong with the train. That's always got that vibe from Yeah. It. Yeah. But it does describe what it's like to be a train conductor, actually. Like, There's a lot of detail in there.
1: You need to take a break after watching the rail for as long as you have to for the entire trip, yeah. All right. That's my number five, Driver 8 by R.E.M. What's your number five? My first song of season three of Extra
0: Credit, the Rock You podcast, is a Beatles song. Go figure. It's Paperback Rider. <laughs> Paperback nice. Writer, which is a Paul McCartney uh, composition with a little help from John. And Paul was quoted in an interview a year or two after after the song came out, he said, years ago, my Aunt Lil said to me, why do you always write songs about love all the time? Can't you ever write about a horse or a summit conference or something interesting? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, all a, right, Auntie Lynn A summit conference? <laughs> That's what he said. I don't know what that wow. means. Anyway, uh, he saw Ringo Starr reading a book, and he decided to write about a book or an author. He liked the, the rhythm of the phrase, paperback writer. It kind of does sound rhythmic. And he was supposed yeah. to drive to John Lennon's house about an hour away, and he came up with a song on the way. I don't know if they recorded it the same day, but I think they finished it that day anyway. It's an interesting song, too. Another thing he wanted to do with it was he was actually trying to write a song with just one note in the style of some real classic American R&B and soul music like Chain of Fools or uh, you know some Otis Redding or Wilson Pickett stuff. And the song is almost entirely on a G bass note. There's one measure of C that gets thrown in there toward the end of the verse on the word paperback writer just before the chorus, on the word writer. So that was it. And he was also the first, I think the first track he played with his Rickenbacker bass, which is if you're a McCartney fan or a bass fan, you know that was a big deal when McCartney switched from the violin the bass, the Hoffner. Violin bass to the Rickenbacker, and pe- people write PhD theses on difference in the sound and how it affected the band's composition and so on. It's also, I never knew this, but it's got really cool backing vocals. In the third verse, the backing vocal, if you listen carefully, they're actually singing Frere Jacca. I, really? I did not realize that, and I went back and listened, like, yeah, there it is. I probably heard the song conservatively 500 times in my life. I never noticed that. It's a gift that keeps wow. on giving. So that's my number five, Paperback Writer by the Beatles. There are songs I like by the Beatles that have, like, better by the Beatles than that refer to professions, but this one was just so on the nose. It was literally about wanting to be a writer and how what I'm yeah. gonna do. And so couldn't couldn't resist it. What's your number cool. four?
1: My number four is being sports guys like we are. Hmm. It's Center Field by John Fogerty. Good choice. I didn't think of that one. Off of the album of the same name from 1985. It's a song about a rookie baseball player hoping to get in and play in the show, or that's what baseball players call the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Fogarty said that the song was pretty easy to write. He said, I was practicing a song and I came up with that guitar riff that starts the song. I went into the studio playing the guitar with a drum beat and it just came out. And it combines two of Fogarty's baseball and rock and roll he said it was the song was inspired by his frustration watching a struggling team on tv where he would imagine himself to be the rookie sitting on the bench he said i would always yell at the tv put me in coach put me in <laughs> That's cool. And he lists off a bunch of legends in the song, and that includes Joe DiMaggio, Willie Mays, and Ty Cobb. All of them center fielders. And he kind of quotes a uh, a line from Chuck Berry's "Brown-eyed Handsome Man" in the first verse when he said, you know, says round and third, he was headed for home. It's a brown-eyed handsome man. He refers to Casey at the bat from the poem Casey at the Vat in mm-hmm. the Mudville Nine. The final verse, he quotes a longtime broadcaster who worked for the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants, whose home run call was tell it goodbye. Some of the, the baseball history behind this song is in 2010, Fogarty became the only musician to be celebrated at the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony when center field was honored by the Baseball Hall of Fame. He performed it at the induction ceremony to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the song. And Willie Mays was actually in attendance when he did that. And and it's the first and, uh, to my knowledge, only time that a song has been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And Fogarty donated the baseball bat-shaped guitar that he used to play the song for many, many years. He donated it. And it's now in Cooperstown. Cool. So just a, a great merging of baseball and rock and roll. That's my number four. Center field by John Fogarty. Cool. You ready for mine? Yeah. What's your number four?
0: I'm muscling in on your territory a bit here. Okay. I'm, go- I'm going with Working Man by Rush.
1: Oh, nice. Do we have a yeah. ding ding-ding? No, oh, it's okay. it's then honor, I'm, it's it's honorable mention. I'm but, probably not yeah. gonna get
0: to my two then. Thought this was one you might have. Getty Lee says it's his favorite rush song to play live, or at least he's he has said that. You yeah. probably know better than anybody that. This is not Neil Peart on the drums. He hasn't joined the band yet at this time. I think it was 1974. It was their first yeah. big hit. It's John Rutsey on the drums. You can hear it in the drumming and obviously in the songwriting, which is very straight ahead. And it answers the yes. question, what would Neil? What would uh, Rush be without Neil Peart? And it turns out it would be Deep Purple. And it's, <laughs> it's yeah. just like a hard-driving <laughs> rock song. The significance of the song, it kind of broke Rush. They got their record contract after a Cleveland DJ named Donna Halper put this song right. on the air. It was really popular in Cleveland. Uh, they got a record deal and they actually dedicated their first two albums to her to Donna Halper as a yes. thank you for, for putting their song on the air so I've always loved this song The I mean Alex Lifeson's playing is crazy but just the straightforward simple power chord riff just it's so compelling yeah it's about the experience of being a working stiff and having to get up early and go to work and come home tired and you know get a beer maybe if you're lucky it's not about a Doesn't you don't know what the particular job is but it's you know obviously some sort of uh, blue collar job and they're doing the life so it's a it's definitely a very unrushed song, but it's great.
1: It's a rush song. It's an, yeah. early, rush it's song. an early rush song. It's an early rush song. It doesn't resemble
0: not... their, their later stuff after Neil wrote the song.
1: Well, yeah. yeah Neil being the, the intellectual that he was right. and reading so much stuff and liking the science. Yeah. I mean, if you take the turn from the first record to Fly By Night and you start, where did they get songs like Bitor and The Snow Dog? And Anthem. They went up like six flights of steps on the intellectualness of their lyrics when they got Neil. Exactly. Well, and
0: songwriting (laughs) style, too. There's nothing jazzy about this except the solo.
1: But that fell a little bit more on Alex and Ged because they, they were growing as musicians. Yeah,
0: exactly. You can hear it. Yeah. That they hadn't
1: done it yet, but it's still a great song. They, had, they hadn't done it yet. Yeah, Working Man's still a great song. Like great straight song. ahead rock and roll. Yeah. What's your number three? My number three, I had to pick one of the songs that was about a soldier because there were so many of them. Mm-hmm. But I picked Rooster by Allison Chains. Okay. And it's on Dirt from 1992. It was written by Jerry Cantrell, who's the guitarist and lead vocalist, for his dad, Jerry Cantrell Sr., whose childhood nickname was Rooster and was given to him by his great-grandfather because of his perceived cocky attitude and his hair, which used to stick up at the top of his head like a rooster's tail. Cantrell Sr., Jerry Cantrell Sr. served in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War. Jerry Cantrell, the guy in Allison Chains, wrote the song while he was living with Chris Cornell in Seattle at the start of 1991. Alone late at night, he kept thinking about his dad and the psychological scars from his time in the Vietnam War that contributed to a lot of family unrest. So he wrote the song from the viewpoint of his dad. And in the liner notes of one of their box sets, Jerry Cantrell said that it was the start of the healing process between my dad and I from all the damage that Vietnam caused. This was all my perception of his experiences. And then he added in a 2006 interview, he said, When I first played it for my father, I asked him if I'd got close to where he might have been emotionally or mentally in that situation. And he told me, You got too close. You hit it on the head. Hmm. It meant a lot to him that I wrote it. It brought us closer. It was good for me in the long run. And it was good for him too. Hmm. An amazing song. It makes you feel like you're in the jungles of Vietnam when the stuff's going on. And one more thing. Jerry Cantrell and his dad patched up their relationship. And a lot of times he will introduce his dad on stage before playing Rooster at Hmm. an Alice in Chains show. Powerful stuff. That's my number three. What's your number three? This one might be a ding, ding, ding.
0: Let's see. Before I say okay. what it is, I want to just tell all the genre snobs to shut their mouths for a little bit, <laughs> pipe down, <laughs> settle down, <laughs> settle down. You know, we, you and I use the analogy of a big tree with lots of roots, and just let's keep remembering that these musical styles feed each other. They, you know, what, right. what yeah. shows up in one then shows up in the other, and something shows back up again. So if somebody wants to argue with me that this is a country song, I'd say, listen to it. It's got rock Drum fills, it's got electric guitar, doesn't have the things that make country country on paper, and it's 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. That's a great song. No bells? No No, bells? No Okay. No bells. I thought, all right, so my over-under was way, see, I should have taken the under. All right. uh, 9-5 (laughs) by Dolly Parton, uh, written for the movie, uh, which is hilarious. The song's pretty hilarious, too, actually. Another one, kind of like Working Man, it's pretty general. Obviously, someone's working in an office because you hear the typewriter, which, by the way, Dolly made with her acrylic fingernails, not with an actual typewriter. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's a really fun song, and it's kind of rockative. Again, if you take the Dolly Parton thing away and you listen to it, take her voice away it's like yeah this is this could be on a on an album by a rock band it reached number one on the billboard country chart in january 1981 but then it on in february it reached number one on the hot 100 and the adult contemporary charts
1: so there's another
0: genre busting
1: i'd say that qualifies as a rock song if you hit the number one yeah that definitely qualifies she was only that baseline yeah, it's great. That's great. Baselines rock and roll. That's not country. That's baseline. what I'm saying.
0: That's what I'm saying. They you know, these genres grow inside each other. Dolly was only the second woman ever to have the number one country and hot one hundred songs at the same time with the same single. If you want to uh, take a, a wild guess who the first you'll never get the first one, I don't think. Maybe you will. I doubt it.
1: Crazy by Patsy Klein. Nope. It Nope. Was,
0: okay. It, it was Harper Valley PTA by Jeannie C. Riley. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in nineteen sixty eight. So I, that's a, that's I never would have guessed cut. that one in a million years. No, nah,
1: me either. Love the song. Not much more to say about it. What's your number 2? It's about a profession wink wink, but it's uh I'm going to go with the literal version of this song. It's Ice Cream Man by Van Halen. You know, <laughs> thought you might use this one actually yeah i love this song it's an amazing song they didn't write it it's actually a cover and i didn't know that that until i started looking this up the guy who wrote it is a man named john charles brim who was a a chicago blues guitarist songwriter and singer and he wrote and recorded ice cream man and i don't have the date on that he was born in the 20s and passed away in 2003 so he had a good long life The song starts out with just blues, acoustic guitar, and the verses are fairly simple. And then when Eddie's electric guitar kicks in, then it's a typical Van Halen rocker. Mm -hmm. David Lee Ross range of vocals Mm. on this. People give him a bad rap and say that the guy can't sing. Who says that? Yeah. I've read some stuff on the internet. They're like, oh, he wasn't as good as Sammy. It's like, well, live, he wasn't. Like if you watch films of Van Halen shows with him live, no, he's wandering around the stage trying to pick up girls and stuff. And and he doesn't sing half the time. But in the studio, I mean, the guy had a really good voice when he used it. Now, the acoustic guitar track is credited to David Lee Roth. Hmm. However, if you listen to the recording, and they did it mostly live, and although there were some guitar lines that were overdubbed on this song, if you listen to the vocal recording closely, I think it's at the end of the first verse, he says, Hold on a second there, Eddie. (laughs) That leads me to believe that Eddie was actually playing the acoustic and not Dave. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, that would make, you know, when you have the world's greatest guitar player in your band, you don't let Dave play the guitar on the song. Right. Although, I got to say, that acoustic pattern is really simple hmm. and it's not that hard. Maybe one way, maybe the other. But, My money's on uh, Eddie. Yeah, my money's mm-hmm. on Eddie too, especially if he says, hold on a second there, Eddie. Although I've seen, uh, when I looked up the lyrics for it, trying to figure out you know, all the different kinds of ice cream that he was talking about, <laughs> it, the lyrics are all over the place until they get to Dixie Cups, all flavors in, push-ups too. That's the one thing everybody agrees on. But some people have the, the lyric when he says, hold on a second there, Eddie, is hold on a second there, baby. But it sounds like Eddie to me. So mm. that's what I'm going to stick with. Stick with it. <laughs> All right, man. What's your number two?
0: Well, my number two got on this list uh, as a result of my misunderstanding the lyrics. But after I looked into the song, I I figure I could keep it there because it still works if you assume sarcasm, which I think is actually the point. Sarcasm or satire. The song is "Paper Planes" by M.I.A. Wow, I don't know that one. You you, you probably do. You probably heard it. It's sampled straight to hell by the Clash. Um, okay. It's a it's more of a hip hop song, but it's not very hip hoppy. It's not the the lyrics are. Aren't rapped, they're sung. And also, once again, you know, you've got a, you want to call it a hip hop song, but it's sampling a rock song. So, you know, lighten up, Francis. Uh, <laughs> not you. I'm talking <laughs> about the listeners who are going to write in and tell me it's not a rock song. MIA is the stage name of British rapper, or hip hop artist, Maya. I'm going to do my best. I'll rule Pragazam. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing okay. that right. I looked it up online. I couldn't find any, you know, any interview where she actually used her real name to say it out loud. And it was co-written with Diplo, whose uh, real name is Wesley Pence, Much easier for me to say. And <laughs> I thought it was about street crime, being a hustler, counterfeiting some documents, yeah. some, some pickpocketing, some, uh, some, selling drugs, some, you know, maybe low-level mugging. It turns out what she was actually writing about. She was born in London, but she's from Sri Lanka. Her, her parents are from Sri Lanka, and they moved back to Sri Lanka when she was six months old, so she was raised there. And her father, at least, maybe both her parents, her father, at least, is Tamil. And obviously there's a lot of, has always historically, uh, at least since she's been alive, I don't know how old she is, but been basically a civil war going on in Sri Lanka uh, against the Tamil separatists, the Sri Lankan army versus the Tamil separatists. And so a lot of her art is colored by this in fact her first two albums are pretty much about this experience but she was trying to work in the US and had a lot of problems because she had problems getting visas and the reason she had problems getting visas was just because of her heritage and where she was coming from and the assumptions that were made about who she was and what she was doing with her life so she's satirizing what they thought of her as a young Sri Lankan woman that she must just be out to rip somebody off make a quick buck you know do something unethical and that's just how she was treated the chorus is actually sung by street kids that she invited to come sing it out loud and I, I never really noticed it until I read that and I went back oh yeah of course that's a bunch of kids singing that chorus it's yeah. really it's really a great song it's very catchy it's got a really cool uh, keyboard line running through it but the principal melodic element is the sample from Straight to Hell which just brings it right home I don't know if it's a yeah. sample or a re a reinterpretation I'm not quite sure about that and it's a very smart song uh, if, you didn't, if you don't know it you should check it out uh, that's my number two Paper Planes by MIA so again why is it profession because even though that wasn't the real point of the song it's about how she felt she was viewed and what she was actually doing instead of what she was really doing when she tried to get uh, you know immigration paperwork done in a western country i can't say that speak for every listener but you and i at least seth we have that privilege of yeah. traveling the way we look on a passport we have you know and uh, you know can't forget it's not like that for everybody
1: exactly yeah, yeah I, I was actually having that discussion the other day with a, a friend who was coming through custom coming into the U.S. saying, wow, you know, the only people I ever see getting stopped at customs are not folks that look like us. That's right. You know, it's yeah. it's usually people with darker skin tones. Mm-hmm. And if you guys are listening to us and don't know, Matt and I are kind of pasty white guys, <laughs> bald, pasty no hair, white yeah. guys that, that love rock and roll. So... <laughs> All right, man. Down to I'm, it. Uh, down to it. On to number one. The band, you had a ding, ding, ding on. It just okay. wasn't the song. Okay. My number one is New World Man by Rush. Okay. I feel like this song is about a politician from my, well, yeah, I would I say listening to the lyrics, not reading of the lyrics. Yeah. Whenever I listen to this song, I really feel like it's it's about a younger, young-ish, maybe middle-aged politician who's having to deal with all the things that Neil mentions in the lyrics of the song. The funny thing is the working title for this song was Project 3 Minutes and 57 Seconds because they were writing it in order to fill that amount of time <laughs> because that's how much space they had after the album's first seven songs were finished hmm. because this one's on Signals. And it was the last and probably most quickly composed song on the album because their producer, Terry Brown, wanted to even out the lengths of the two sides of the cassette version mm-hmm. of the record. That tells you how you, long ago this was. So that They were thinking about cassettes.
0: Yeah, you don't want that dead <laughs> time at the end of your Side, you know, end of your cassette tape. You want it to yeah. flip right over.
1: Nonetheless, it remains Russia's only American top 40 hit. Wow. I think it was, it scored pretty high on the charts in Canada, but it peaked at number 21 on the Billboard singles chart in October and November of 1982. I got a quote from Neil on this one. He says, writing it in one day and recording it the next, we wanted to capture a spontaneous, relaxed feel for this song, not even spending much time getting the sounds together. Thus, it could stand in contrast to the rest of the album being much more raw and live in its effect. He said, two days is very close to a record for us to write and record a song. They were never a singles band, but New World Man was their biggest hitting single. Cool. That's my number one. Wow. Just just because I love the song, and it's really about what it's like to be a politician. Honestly, I think it still applies today to what we're living through now, that you have to deal with all those old issues that are still hanging around 40-some-odd years later. All right, dude, you got right. the last word. What's, okay. the, what's the ultimate song about a job or
0: profession? First one that popped in my head when we came up with this topic. It's Shape of My Heart by Sting. It's nice. the story of a gambler a card player. Clearly a professional from the context, but I'm going to talk about the song musically first, and then lyrically after. I just want to say, first of all, musically, it's just a beautiful song, and I've mentioned Dominic Miller on this podcast before. He's Sting's longtime collaborator since he left the police. He plays guitar on almost all of Sting's solo work when Sting isn't playing the guitar himself, and I just he's one of my favorite guitarists. Very innovative, very beautiful style, very classical inspired. I don't know if he's trained as a classical guitarist, but he must be the way he plays. And this song actually comes out of an exercise that he was playing based on using the sixth of a chord instead of the third of a chord. If you don't know what that means, just ignore it. Go right past it. But it would be reminiscent of like Chopin. Sting apparently walked up and said, that's a song. He said, no, I'm just doing an exercise. He said, no, no, that's a song. The story goes, they both tell it the same way pretty much. Dominic Miller puts it on a tape for him. Sting walks out into his garden and comes back in an hour with the whole song written. Basically, or at least the outlo- you know the, the concept wow. and the idea, yeah. the verses, some of the lyrics, and they did it. They finished it in a single day. And Sting said that Dominic asked him, "Where did you get this from?" And he said, "I don't know. It just occurs to me, but the music tells me the story. So let me deal with it lyrically." Okay, so I'm quoting Sting here. He wanted he wanted to tell the story of quote a card player, a gambler who gambles not to win, but to try to figure out something, to figure out some kind of mystical logic and luck or chance, some kind of scientific, almost religious law. If you listen to the song, the card it sounds like an inner monologue of this card player having um, almost a meditative or uh, I don't want to say mystical state when playing cards but also the meanings behind what he's doing and you get the sense that there's something sad about this I mean it's a very sad song it's a very melancholy song but there's one verse that goes he may may play the jack of diamonds which sounds kind of like a money grab he may lay the queen of spades, which makes him sound uh, like a, a lady killer. Yeah. He may conceal a king in his hand while a memory of it fades. and like, I don't really know what that lyric is supposed to mean, but to me it's about having something, it almost feels like he's talking about something better that he was meant to do or a, a bigger purpose in life that he's lost. Because of his work as a gambler, or maybe yeah. it, maybe in spite of it, and then the chorus is: I know that I know the spades are the swords of a sho- of a soldier. I know that the clubs are weapons of war. I know that diamonds mean money for this art, but that's not the shape of my heart. And that's like again the melancholy of this is who I really am, but no one else knows who I really am because I'm I have to wear a mask. And he talks about that in the last verse where he says, "And if I told you that I loved you, you'd maybe think there's something wrong. I'm not a man of too many faces. The mask I wear is one, and it's just." A, uh, I, I find it a beautiful song it's one of the probably the most difficult song that I can play and anytime somebody hands me a guitar and says hey check out my new guitar or anytime I want to test out a guitar this is what I play so it's got a lot of meaning to me personally and I love playing it on classical guitars which is what I usually play in the summer when I'm not here in Paris because uh, I got them stashed yeah. everywhere I'll just add one other thing <laughs> I add one other thing that I didn't know there's a beautiful solo in the song and I never thought about what instrument it was and then I'm listening to him like, what is that? Is it a melodica? Is it a an accordion? Like, I can't figure it out. It sounds like a wind instrument, but it's just a single note, pretty much. It turns out it's a harmonica, and it's played by a guy named oh. Larry Adler, who is known as one of the greatest harmonica players in the world. He's played with George Gershwin. He's had symphonies written for him, just as a harmonica player. Wow. And he left the US. He was blacklisted in the McCarthy era and moved yeah. to London to get away. And he, I don't know, Sting found him somehow, invited him to play. He actually played all over the album uh, 10 Summoner's Tales which this is on that's my number one and again just one more one more shot at the genre police out there if you're rolling your eyes that I had a Dolly Parton song and an MIA song on this list both of those songs are far more rock and roll than this song but it stings so nobody complains (laughs) I love this song
1: We got to go through a little bit of. Got to breeze right through it though. Honorable mentions, yeah. Just breeze through okay. it. So you, I did mean, yours, man. <laughs> I did well. I did them in a couple of spots, but man, the one that would have been number one. But it really is a country song. Is mm. Wichita Lineman. That's on my Glenn honorable Campbell. mentions list, too. Yeah. That's just such a great one. Then, you know, I'm rolling through all the ones that I already rolled through. Wait, before you do, do you
0: have any more country songs? Because I had a category of just honorable mention songs that are oh, country songs.
1: no, because okay. I, I laid off a, a lot of well, those. Well, I'll give you my, uh, since
0: you did Wichita Lineman, I'll give you my three. Sure, go for it. Which are the Reverend Mr. Black. There's a bunch of versions, but I like the Johnny Cash version, of course. The okay. Gambler by Kenny Rogers, yeah, yeah, Kenny Rogers, <laughs> and, (laughs) And Coal Miner's Daughter by Loretta Lynn. Those are three songs about professions that are more country than anything.
1: Go ahead. I'm going through my list that I had pulled up on iTunes. There's Driving the Last Spike by Genesis. (laughs) It's a really long song about guys that actually build the railroad. (laughs) Drummer Man that I think I mentioned before during the, the music version of this topic. Terminator X to the edge of panic because, hey, got to bring a DJ in at some <laughs> point. Don't Stand So Close to Me by the Police mm. for the teacher aspect mm-hmm. of it. And then a song that I used on another list because it was a great story. Karen by Night. Yeah, it's a good one. As either a shoe salesman or she's a <laughs> salesperson or as a spy. It's, cool. So, it's a uh, cool song,
0: which I had never heard of till you, till you shared it with me. So <laughs>
1: I'll leave that as my honorable mentions. What's what's All the right, rest I'll, of the songs I'll, on your list? I'll whip through a few. couple I
0: used on other lists, or thought I did, Hot for Teacher by Van Halen, where yeah. I, which we used on my, uh, I think, my best intros list. Used to be a cop, which I've actually used on two top five lists, top five story songs and top five bridges. And then I thought I had used Shipbuilding by Elvis Costello about the, the shipyards in Northern England, but I actually used Almost Blue, but I talked about Chet right. Baker, who played on Shipbuilding, so I got that mixed up. That was a, go back and listen to that one if you want. I didn't use Drive My Car by the Beatles because I used Paperback Writer instead, but I went back and forth. You mentioned Soldiers. I thought of a bunch. Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley and the Whalers being the one I came closest to using. I love the song Career Opportunities by The Clash, which is basically saying, I don't want to do any of these jobs. It's just a list of jobs he doesn't want to do. But frankly, the song's not that great, so even though it was a good fit, I didn't use it. Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello, which is about mercenaries and soldiers in the post-World War II era. Spies, too. The Scientist by Coldplay, about you know one and Another song about someone's work getting in the way of their their real desires.
1: That song's okay, but the video
0: is phenomenal. It is indeed, but nothing to do with profession, so... uh, No. (laughs) I had Driver 8, Please Mr. Postman, lots of Sting songs and police songs. Demolition Man, Stolen Car, which is about a car thief, uh, Bombs Away, which is about a military junta, and Roxanne, which brings us into all the the other songs you mentioned, the oldest profession. And one last little, little tidbit, Morrissey for whatever reason just uses a lot of songs about like everyday life and so jobs get into it including Paint a Vulgar Picture which is about uh, record company executives Hairdresser on Fire which is literally about hairdressers and in demand and um, (laughs) Last of the Famous International Playboys which is about serial killers which I guess isn't a job but I guess it's a profession so And there's a bunch more Working Class Hero by John Lennon and Maggie's Farm by Bob Dylan and Covered by Rage Against the Machine Allentown by Billy Joel I gotta stop somewhere but I just had to throw in Lawyers in Love by Jackson Brown for you just for yeah, one, <laughs> one, yeah. one little one for you
1: If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, check out the Spotify playlist that we've got in the show notes to hear them all. All right, Rockers, we're back, and uh, it's time for Read My Mind again. We really enjoyed doing that the first time, so I think we're going to do it here again, and I guess we're doing a little bit of a legal theme with this one, too?
0: Well, it depends depends on which way you want to present it. I like the other one, but
1: you like the legal one. So what we were talking about was, like, who's going to be... If it came down to a trial of whether we kept rock and roll or not, who would be... The ultimate expert witness for the defense. Oh, I wasn't thinking expert witness at all. I oh, was really? Thinking, what were you, you thinking? You're the
0: lawyer for rock and roll. Rock and roll's on trial for its life. Who's your final witness? Who's the person you want up there Who's your, as yeah, your last that's, witness? That's what I would say. But not it's an my, expert it's witness, my, not, a, not, a technical, not a technical kind of thing. I thought uh, of an expert witness yeah. as being like, yeah, all right, fine.
1: I mean, <laughs> somebody who would carry... Somebody who had carried the flag for rock and roll that would sway the jury to say, yeah, we're keeping it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the the other way I I put it was... I don't know if I should conf- I don't know if I'm just muddying the waters here but you know you and I are both big football geeks and obviously the uh, the NFL gives out is it the, the Walter Payton award what's the, the yeah yeah the, best, the sportsman of the year the best year sportsman award. of the year not necessarily the best football player or the best athlete but the best sportsman like who's the person you want like say that's what we're talking about that's what this is all about that's how I put it right so either way we'll you see, you're a lawyer though Seth so let's go with your schema here
1: Okay. We're supposed to guess who the other guy would have picked. That's right. That's the read my mind. And I had this pick before I saw your shirt today. Yeah. (laughs) So I think the shirt gave it away, but I got to tell you, I wrote this down. I had two that I thought you were going to do. The first one that I was going to pick was going to be Paul McCartney because of the Beatles. But then I thought, nah, Paul's not that fiery of a speaker. He's a good guy and knows a lot of stuff and would be a great person to have on the stand. But the (laughs) guy you want is Dave Grohl. And that's what I'm thinking. That's right. I'm thinking that's who your guy was. You nailed it. (laughs) You nailed it. Should I try to guess yours?
0: Or should I wait for yeah. your t- yeah, yeah. No, no. Guess Seth, mine. Seth, I got to admit, I guessed that Dave Grohl was your guess also. Because I know you went oh, to the Taylor really? Hawkins tribute concert last year, and thought you might have been inspired by Dave's good works and good attitudes, but no, not yours.
1: Okay, Dave was on my short list. Okay, I'll tell you a couple of other guys that were on my short list. D. Snyder was on my short list I, just because. I want to know your winner. Tell me your short list later. You want to know the winner? I, so I want to Well, okay. who is it? So if it was an expert witness. Uh-huh. it'd be Rick Beato from, from YouTube. Uh,
0: you see, that's why, I didn't, all right, we were thinking about this differently.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but if it was going to be somebody to stand up and be like the cheerleader, bang the drum, just because of the way that he presents himself, I would have to say Bruce Springsteen over he was Dave Kroll.
0: I did come down to two guys, but it wasn't Paul McCartney. It was Dave or Bruce. Ah, so okay. it was close. Cool. We, were, we were on the same page. We were on the same page.
1: Well, which yeah. did you actually
0: end up choosing?
1: As a lawyer, if it had to be somebody to bring it home, it'd be Bruce Springsteen. Okay, good. Just because I would, I mean, (laughs) if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen his speech to induct you two into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I highly recommend that to you because of just what he came up with, with them. I think he could make that argument for the entire genre. Keep keep rolling, because why don't you go
0: first? Or is, I don't know if that if you have more to say. I got like ten thousand words on Dave Grohl here, so I can do a tight ten minute <laughs> set on Dave Grohl and still have leftover material. So
1: go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Bruce himself is a rock and roll Hall of Famer. He's extremely eloquent. He's really intelligent. He's played with a lot of the greats. He's cross kind of genres from straight rock and roll to playing with Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. He goes back and, and deals with, you know, classic literature from that, you know, his deal with Tom Morello is the ghost of Tom Joe, the song that you brought up in the podcast right. a few episodes back. Everybody knows him. Everybody has confidence in him. He's the guy that you would want to bring it home. I mean, Rick Beato would be your expert witness and be yeah, like, no, it's such a nah, great music. That. I wasn't, and this and I wasn't interested
0: in that at all. Expert witness was the first yeah. thing from my mind.
1: <laughs> but yeah, if you want to bring it home, Bruce Springsteen's my guy. Give me your tight 10 minutes might, on Dave Grohl. It might be 12. <laughs> It might be
0: fifteen. <laughs> well, I was just going to say first that yeah, Bruce Springsteen's autobiography, which I believe is called Born to Run, was great, and I liked it so much when he talks about his experience of playing music that I kept screenshot uh, out of that screenshot. I kept taking pictures of pages and like posting them on the Rock You Facebook page and like with highlights yeah. and stuff. And uh, yeah, just the way he thinks about music is great. But I went with Dave. It wasn't actually tough in the end. And and then I once I chose Dave, I found tons, tons, tons more stuff that. I didn't even know that I like even better, so let me, let me begin. <laughs> well, I will say before I start, though, that they, this is what I was going for. The two of them have something in common, which is that I don't really connect with their music that much, but I admire them tremendously yeah. as people and spokesperson for the genre although I will say I had a little bit of a Foo Fighters awakening this summer I did find some more appeal in the songs that I hadn't found before I've I've been critical of his vocal Good. dynamics but nah I started to started to really appreciate what he's going for anyway Dave Grohl if you don't know was the drummer for Nirvana and if that's all he ever did he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame first chance that you get to induct him but then he went on to found Foo Easy. Fighters and do a whole bunch of other things let me start from the very beginning he was the son of a teacher and a journalist which you can totally tell props to his parents um, he started learning guitar but do you know the album that changed his life and made him start made him switch to drums no 2112 by rush he said he uh, heard that well and he just he had to play drums there's so many things to like about him but let me get to the to the big thing first and then i'll tell you all the little things and you can edit the crap out of them if, if you want so <laughs> um I was not looking for someone who was a, out there trying to make the world a better place through non-musical reasons like Bono or somebody like that. You know, there's plenty of rock and yeah. rollers who do who do great stuff, but it's not about music necessarily. What I like about Dave Grohl is that he totally gets what rock music is about. And it's what I say all the time at Rock U. It's about the feeling. It's about the expression of yourself, your true self, three chords and the truth. It's not about avoiding mistakes for sure it's not about being perfect it's about being real and he uh, Wasting Light uh, was the Foo Fighters album that won the Grammy for Best Rock Album in 2011 or 12 I can't remember Yeah. he gave an acceptance speech and he said in that acceptance speech to me this award means a lot because it shows that the human element of music is what's important it's not about being perfect it's not about sounding absolutely correct it's not about what goes on in a computer it's about what goes on in here He's pointing to his heart and what goes on in here and he points to his head. And just a little side note, he actually got in a lot of trouble with that because it sounded like he was trying to criticize electronic music. So he had to come up with a very amusing yeah. and Dave Groley response, which I'm going to just take a little bit of here it says i love music i love all kinds of music from i don't even know this band to craft pine top i know craft i just don't know the other band that he's referring to pine top perkins to prodigy dead kennedys to dead mouse i love music electronic or acoustic it doesn't matter to me the simple act of creating music is a beautiful gift that all human beings are blessed with look i am not Ingwe malmstein i am not john bonham hell i'm not even josh groban for that matter <laughs> but i try really effing hard so that i don't have to rely on anything but my hands and my heart to play a song this is from a different speech that he gave a couple years later. He says, "There is no wrong or right. There is only your voice. What matters is that it's your voice. Cherish it, respect it, nurture it, challenge it." He actually has been quoted saying that his favorite, one of his favorite songs of the past decade, is "Gangnam Style," which obviously is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and that's anyway. like the most Dave Grohl thing ever. Exactly, and and that's the thing. He 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 so clearly loves music, but he gets that he gets what it's about, what rock music is about. Yeah. Classical music, you can be expressive, but if you can't be technically proficient, you're not going to do anything. If you want to be right. creative, same thing with jazz. You have to be, you know, jazz prizes creativity and improvisation, but you can't do it without being technically proficient. Rock music is not about technical proficiency. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about expressing yourself through the music. And right. he is the, the best, per, he's the person I'd put on the stand if I was trying to say, why does rock music need to exist? He's the guy. Now, I'm just going to tell you a whole bunch of things you can like about Dave Grohl and you can do whatever you want with him in the editing room. (laughs) So so first of all- Please tell me you're going to talk about Nandy Bushell. Oh yeah, of course I am. Uh, So (laughs) first of all, he seems to genuinely love to play and he doesn't really care about the other stuff. Like many rock musicians, he collaborates a ton. Here's a short list of people he's collaborated with. Black Flag, David Bowie, Tom Petty, Lemmy, Killing Joke, Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, Little Steven, Tommy Iommi, Tenacious D, Cat Power, Queens of the Stone Age, Nine Inch Nails, Garbage, Juliet and the Licks, haven't heard of them. Paul McCartney, obviously his band, Them Crooked Vultures, with uh, John Paul Jones and Josh Homme. They actually opened for Arctic Monkeys. Now, can you imagine being John Paul Jones or Dave Grohl and opening for another band? He doesn't care. He just wants to support them. He Uh, He just wants to play. That's right. He just wants to play. Cage the Elephant, their drummer had his appendix Burst. Dave went on tour as their drummer for six weeks while he was healing. I mean, just to play. Yeah. The Zach Brown band. That's a country band. He's not a genre snob. A, a band I had never heard of, which might or might not be pronounced Red Gold Green, which is a hip-hop group. Alice Cooper. One of my favorite collaborations that he does is with Greg Kirsten, his friend who's a producer, the, the Hanukkah sessions. Oh, yeah. Those are fantastic. Yeah, those are awesome. Yeah. So every every Hanukkah he does eight songs, you know, one song a night with Greg Kirsten, eight covers of Jewish artists. So I love that stuff. I love the fact that he'll play with anybody and he supports he supports not just other musicians but fans too so yeah you mentioned nandy bushel she is like this pheno- if you don't know her she's this phenomenal musician i don't know how old she is now but at the time she came to public prominence she was 11 or 12 she challenged him to a drum battle and he admits she beat the pants off him <laughs> playing oh, yeah. playing everlong yeah. i think it was playing a foo fighters song some
1: foo fighters song she yeah. played the drums yeah on i think it was everlong it was Everlong one with the really the really long yeah. hi, the super yeah. hard hi-hat part yeah. she played Everlong Long at that concert for Taylor Hawkins oh yeah and killed yeah. it <laughs> the first I one mean, she ever played amazing
0: the, yeah the first time they ever met was when she played it with them in L.A she already had done the drum battle but yeah. they never met in person and he invited her to play she did it in
1: London yeah, and that was the first time Yeah, oh yeah. was it in London It was. I thought it was yeah. in London
0: alright we'll have to t- t- take two on that anyway I, 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 let me go back to the list I got too much to stop on her on Nandi's Awesome but I got too much uh, his appreciation okay. for rock history he bought the sound the, the console at Soundsteady Studios which he had used as a member of Nirvana he bought it for his own for his own use I think for himself you know how much he cares about the fans he broke his leg in Sweden everybody knows this now he had a th- yeah he came back and finished the show and then he had a throne constructed so he could sit on this throne and play play shows while he couldn't walk i mean did you know that he has that he reads lips he has uh, his tinnitus is so bad he can't no. really hear people speak so he reads lips I didn't know that. And I've, I've heard him I didn't know that talk in, in person. I'm mean, not per, in person, but on, on TV or whatever, millions of times and having conversations. I did not know that. The Sonic Highways Project, the documentary about the musical histories of eight different US cities. The Garage Tour, he played in, in yeah. fans' garages. The Foo Fighters squeeze into like somebody, some guy's two-car garage. Watch the Yonkers one. It's the best one. It's really great. Um, <laughs> I didn't know this. A historical milestone that Dave achieved in 2002. He became the first ever artist. Artist to replace himself on the Billboard uh, at the top of the Billboard Rock charts with a different band, so uh, you know you're right by Nirvana got knocked off by All My Life by Foo Fighters, <laughs> and then wow. All My Life a couple weeks later there was one week off with some other band, and then No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age came on, which he didn't play on that track, but he's played with Queens of the Stone Age a lot. Um, right. Yeah. So 17 out of 18 weeks, maybe he did play on that track. I got to look that one up too. He is the musical guest who's been on Saturday Night Live the most times 14 times because he played with Nirvana he played with Foo Fighters he played with them Crooked Vultures and yeah. he played with other artists too he played with Tom Petty when Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fired Stanley Stan Clark Dave Grohl said hey I'll play with you on, on Saturday Night Live funny story about that but on this studio Well they,
1: they actually offered him the job yeah, no, and he, he was like Yes. Yeah, sorry he turned down a few
0: no. he turned down a few of those, those offers stayed, yeah. with, stayed with his own uh, with his own muse and did Foo Fighters which was a better choice he did a drum battle with Animal on the Muppet Show. He was on the Sesame Street 50th anniversary show. Not that he's uh, not interested in bigger causes too. He do- he is an advocate for LGBT. TQ He is an advocate for gun safety, gun control. He's taken on um, some controversial enemies like the Westboro Baptist Church and trolled them a bunch of times. He's just—he's yeah. such a badass. <laughs> he's such a great guy. I love Nirvana. I still don't love the Foo Fighters, but I respect him so much that I am—my love for them is growing too. So, I was going to oh.
1: say you like him enough to have gotten their shirt.
0: Well, that yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a gift actually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wear shirts by bands I don't like that much sometimes when I'm when I'm working. But anyway, I don't know how long that was, Seth. And I, I, I don't envy you the editing job you're going to have to do. Maybe you could just like speed it up to like three times a normal speed and just put it on there in its entirety. And, and, have all,
1: <laughs> and have all our listeners think something's wrong with them or the, something's or definitely the recording wrong with me. or whatever. <laughs>
0: Well, you guessed mine. I guessed yours on the last Read My Mind segment. You guessed mine on this one.
1: Yeah, 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 it's good
0: stuff, good stuff. I'm glad Bruce Springsteen got his day in the sun, too, because that was my second choice.
1: So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? (laughs) Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast.com. At rock-u.fr. All right, kids, we're back. It's the one-minute matchup. And uh, what are we doing today on the one-minute matchup, man? Today, we are doing uh, what band spawned the best solo careers of its members. The best solo careers. Okay, so it's not like the most not commercial
0: and, not the most number i mean you know like everything else we never really define our terms and we really don't know what we're talking about so <laughs> okay well that's great well, well yeah we're just uh, listen you may be you may be a continent away but we're not changing our habits now
1: i mean <laughs> no never never Okay, so the the question I've got is solo career just solo obviously counts, but what about if you're with another band? Does I, I that think count
0: too? Since we didn't define it in advance, Seth, I think we're just going to have to go ahead and use our best
1: judgment. Just go ahead and wing it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Who's going first, you or me? Up to you. How about you go first? Okay, you're going to tie me? And I will... I will use your beauty of the internet and I will show you my stopwatch. Yeah, that'd be nice because I got to
0: keep an eye on.
1: Then you got to keep an eye on time. Okay, can you see that? Yep, I see it. All right, your minute starts now. Okay, well, to answer this question, I eliminated what I would have
0: called singletons. So, like, Beyonce, Sting, Harry Styles have huge solo careers, but that doesn't mean the bands they were in before spawned the best solo careers. I also admitted what I would have called collectives, like uh, Wu-Tang Clan, for example, or Fleetwood Max almost like a collective. Um, There's a few like that. Uh, A couple bands I didn't go with, I was tempted to go with the Beatles uh, for obvious reasons, but I question whether their solo careers would have been as significant if they weren't Beatles first. I tempted to go with the Eagles, but take Don Henley out, and I'm not really impressed. Uh, Yardbirds and I think maybe this is where your question's coming in. You got Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page but they didn't really have solo careers except for Clapton. I guess Beck too but that leaves me only 20 seconds to choose between NWA with Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and Genesis with Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, and Mike and the Mechanics. I'm going with Genesis. Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins both had huge solo careers that were very distinct artistically and don't forget Mike and the Mechanics. That's Mike Rutherford's band which was really his solo project. That was a great band too even if it wasn't as big as the other two.
1: All right. I didn't want to stop you in the
0: middle of your minute, but ding, 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 ding. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I would have guessed this one beforehand. I knew you were going with Genesis also. Your Genesis love has appeared on this podcast many times. I don't even need my minute. I mean, well, that's, that's good that's because I wasted I wasted most of mine on eliminating bands. So, you why don't you go ahead with your uh, you, you can do a deep dive on these guys. Seriously, uh, okay. So Peter
1: Gabriel, who left what, the band, are, you, are we going to start you know, a minute for? Well, hold on, now do, you still got to keep to a minute. All right, I'll, I'll take I'll okay. take my minute. I'll can you, take hold my on, minute. Turn you got my, uh,
0: my little my little bubble on here so I can see that you can see the timer. Okay, you ready? Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Starts
1: now okay so uh, obviously the answer is Genesis um, you know Peter Gabriel who left after uh, you know the first few albums I mean his career duh I mean come <laughs> on uh, Phil Collins who did his solo career while the band was still going I mean, he sold so many stinking records even if you don't like his music he's definitely a a success mike rutherford with mike and the mechanics like you said it's kind of his solo project he wrote songs with a couple other guys but it was kind of like steely dan it was him and some people that kept coming in and out as session musicians Uh, and then tony banks yes he has solo records and uh, Steve Hackett, who was with him for a little while, had his solo stuff. And then uh, he even had a hit with uh, GTR, his super group, that had Steve Howe of Yes and Asia fame with him.
0: And that's my minute. That is your so. minute, exactly. By the way, you never said how long it took me. You were right at a minute one. Right at a minute one. So. Where, you know, ca- Call it a minute with the latency. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we probably could definitely was. do yeah. that. It's funny you mentioned Steve Hackett. He actually was having, lunch, last year, was having lunch in the restaurant next to Rock You, And the guy who managed it, who knows us well, told him about us. And my wife happened to be there meeting a friend. And Steve Hackett and his manager came up and introduced themselves. And they were lovely. They were playing that night. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but- he was going to send her send us some photos and never did so. Oh well, but anyway, well, yeah, you and I were right on the same page there, and I didn't. I, I was sure you were going with Genesis anyway.
1: Like you said, the Eagles, Glenn fry Joe Walsh, you know, has had a really eh. decent solo eh. career. <laughs> Don Felder had two songs. We, we, our then, minutes, our minutes up, man. We don't have to go. I know, but but then then there's the guy that nobody mentions because he's a he's a uh, Very recent member, but Vince Gill, and I didn't think he counted because he joined the Eagles after his solo career, but he was in pure Prairie League, so... Eh, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I will
0: just say about going back to Genesis, though. I did consider mentioning yeah. Tony Banks, and then I looked up what he had done since the band, and I did not mention him. I didn't think the solo stuff was yeah. Significant.
1: There's he doesn't yeah. he doesn't have a ton of success in yeah. his solo stuff, but yeah, he put out solo yeah, records. Sure. I and mean, they so all do. Did Steve Hackett,
0: they so. all do, and then they all tour, but nobody's ever heard the songs. But everyone's heard Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, and most people have heard Mike and the Mechanics. So
1: yeah, that yeah, was that was total. number
0: one for both of us. Well, not bad. Seth and I have a favor to ask. If you are enjoying Extra Credit, The Rock You Podcast, please do us a solid and go ahead and share it with friends. Also, if you rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you listen, it will get to other people and that'd be good. We want more people to hear about this stuff that we think is so cool. So share, rate, review, and thank you. Thank you. extra credit the rock you podcast is brought to you with support from our partners at big pebble records big pebble records is your one-stop shop for all music production in paris everything from the composition to the creative side to the recording and engineering to the mixing and mastering to the distribution and publication and publicity check them out at www.bigpebblerecords.com and of course you will hear lots of rock you musicians on that label
1: Extra credit. The Rock U podcast is a production of Rock U, expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinkley. and our theme music is written and produced by Tom
0: Walters. Rock U is a non-profit association loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.